welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's money m o r p h o s i s dot com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Hello, this is Crystal Arnold, your hostess and founder of Money Wise Women and Money Morphosis. And you can read the full write up of this um, episode at uh, money morphosis.com. So let's talk economics today and let's make it interesting, insightful, and apply to your everyday life. Um, As some of you know, my degree is in international economics. And so I am just fascinated about how we organize ourselves as humans, how we measure value, what agreements we make, and how, how we steward our resources and create a more thriving, just, and equitable economy. I feel like it's one of the most important conversations uh, that people are having today is around what does this emerging economy look like? And it's very important to also acknowledge some of the systemic failures and consequences of the design of the modern market economy. Sometimes I call this extractive economy abusive and uh, have seen hundreds and hundreds of people who are suffering uh, from, from this abuse from the feelings of not enough and and scarcity. And women in particular have uh, especially um, been challenged by this modern economy and how it benefits men and how so much of women's work is undervalued or unpaid. And so I'm very excited to have our guest here today to speak on these topics. Her name is Ricky Gard Diamond. And she is uh, just released her book, Screwnomics. Love that title. And so Ricky is, um, she lives in, in my home state of Vermont, where I grew up. Very proud to, uh, to see her decades of work and advocacy for women in Vermont. She is a journalist and fiction writer. And she has long focused all across genres on money, politics, and cultural change. And she has been writing about systemic poverty and government policy. And back in 1985, became the founding editor of Vermont Woman. And she continues today here as a contributing editor there. And so while she was publishing articles, short fiction, she taught writing and literature, feminist and media studies at Vermont College of Norwich University for over 20 years and uh, had, a, had a book published in 1999. And then uh, she was awarded a National Newspaper Association Award for her article series, which came out in 2011, called An Economy of Our Own. Um, you can find that on her website, which you can see in the link uh, below. And it's her name spelled out dot com, rickyguarddiamond.com. I really do recommend looking at that series, An Economy of Our Own. In 2014, she won a fellowship, Hedgebrook Fellowship, for her work on screwnomics. And uh, yeah, continues to be uh, published, having her writing in um, just last year, The Whole World Could Pass Away, was a collection um, that she was included in. And so now she is just continuing with her passion uh, and her work organizing, speaking, and connecting with Econo girlfriends around the world. So uh, inspired by her perspective and and feel like it's so timely to have these conversations about women's empowerment and how that connects 
with the modern economy so that we can imagine a more functional system. So let's um, welcome you, Ricky. Thank you for being here with us today. And I'd like to begin by hearing from you what you find most exciting about um, releasing this book and all the decades of work that you've been involved in. Well, I, I guess what excites me the most is that it's out and people seem to be noticing and uh, are wanting to hear more about it. It's been a, a long gestation, but um, also that people laugh when they hear its title usually. Right away they, they uh, assume that they know whatever their gender right away, what uh, they recognize the economy that we all live with. And uh, part of my um, intention was to write something that was not uh, typical in the economic field. I wanted to uh, include women's stories. I wanted to make it personal. Uh, and I wanted to make it um, enjoyable to read so that along with definitions and explanations, uh, there are lots of uh, personal stories and uh, questions to, to relate it to one's personal life. You know, economics is usually the subject way up in the stratosphere uh, that uh, claims to be a, a science and has a lot to do with mysterious numbers, but, um, but it affects each of us very, very personally. And I, I want to uh, see people take that, uh, you know, take economics quite seriously, and especially women, because um, one of the things I talk about is that economics has been this man-to-man conversation for about 2,500 years when Herodotus first named it oikonomia. Um, so this is a, a, a little different than the usual. Mm, I love that, and it's so appropriate that a woman is, you know, bringing this Forth, that you are speaking to the personal, intimate, interior uh, way that money and the economy affects every one of us. It really is uh, an important feminine perspective. And I'm so excited you're getting into this uh, male-dominated conversation. Um, could you tell us a little bit more about your own money story and your background and what really brought you into the, the field of economics? Well, I mean, like most women, I um, have been thinking about money my whole life, always coming up short somehow. And um, I think the radicalizing moment for me was when I was uh, a single mom uh, with three kids and $25 a week in child support and working full-time, uh, going to school to finish my education, and I couldn't make my budget work. No matter how hard I tried, I just could not make it work. And I thought there was something really wrong with me because uh, I had a job. I, you know, I should have been able to make my budget add up and, and cover it, but I couldn't. So I went to the welfare office deeply ashamed and uh, came in with my uh, business suit on and my earrings and uh, really shocked to be there at all, but even more shocked by uh, the people I saw in the office there who were uh, not as well off as I was. It was pretty clear from their, um, from their clothes and from the looks on their faces, they were even sadder than I was. And most of them were, uh, all of them except for me, were uh, African-American. And then the, the white social worker came out and helped me, uh, you know, took me into her office, and I felt kind of embarrassed about that. And it wasn't until uh, years later, after I'd finished my education and I'd started work on the, uh, in, in the war on poverty, um, that I, I discovered that in that time, 1979, I think it was, uh, women were making 59 cents on a man's dollar, which helped explain things in a more um, general way than my own personal failings. And also I learned that most of the poor are as white as I am, um, even though we have this 
idea that uh, welfare is mostly for people of color. Most of the poor are white. Most of them are working like I was. And um, even though most of us, most of the poor are white, if you're African-American or a Latina woman, you're about twice as likely to be poor, just as women as a group are much more likely to be poor than men are. So there are these, you know, intersections of um, um, predictability about the the way we sort ourselves out into the haves and have-nots. Mm. So all of that um, helped me to, to think about this in a bigger way. And then uh, when I began to uh, work as a journalist, I... Uh, you know, discovered that if you really wanted to know what the story was, you had to follow the money. And so I uh, I went there. And uh, when I began teaching, I, I began to look more closely at uh, the way language shapes uh, our, our assumptions and how we think about things. So um, I began to, sh- to uh, teach seminars that combined uh, literature, which often is concerned with issues about money, and, uh, and our actual economic system. And I became curious about Wall Street's creative writing, you know, inventing things like collateral debt obligations and that sort of thing. So I wondered what all that meant. And in 2008, I went to the National Organization for Women's uh, Economic Summit, and gave a presentation called Economics is Greek to Me and, um, you know, began to talk about the language of economics in a, in, um, a way that I think abs- absolutely, you know, enters into the this latest work, Screwnomics. So I was thinking about it way back then. And after the crash, which happened later that year, I... Um, just realized that how few uh, women that I knew and talked about uh, ever ever talked about the details of the crash or um, even had that much curiosity about it because they sort of had this um, assumption, I think, that money talks, but when it talks, it should talk in a male voice, and it generally did, and it didn't have anything to do with them. And so... They had other more important things to do, and that's what they concentrated on. But I, I could see that it, it very much affects all of us in a really personal way, so that's why I wrote that that series for Vermont Woman. But uh, after I won this award, it kind of went to my head, I guess, and people began to say, well, you should write a book. And I realized that I didn't want to write a book in the – you know, third-person, objective voice of newspapers with just the facts. I wanted to make it personal. I wanted to make it funny. I wanted to make it um, enjoyable. And also, um, I wanted women to laugh at what is really pretty absurd and uh, and and come to a broader understanding of the, the big picture and the way the macroeconomy interacts with the microeconomy that we're held responsible for. Mm. So that's, that's sort of the story, I guess. It's a long one. I'm sorry. Oh, <laughs> you've, uh, you've definitely had, had some decades of experience. That was a great job condensing it into a few minutes there. Um, what I really love about what you just shared is the way that you are um, – you know, uh, kind of busting through the shame that a lot of people have around their economic situation. And so many people internalize um, their challenges financially as it's their fault and something's wrong with them. And and the expectations and the American dream, um, it's just really challenging. Things continue to get more expensive. You look at the the numbers and the, the way wealth is being consolidated and the cost of goods is going up and education and healthcare. It's like there's a reason people are struggling financially and to put that on them as if they need to, you know, budget tighter or, or you know, without addressing the bigger 
um, problems of compounding interest, predatory lending, and um, these kind of creative acts of, of Wall Street is uh, really, I feel like, just victim shaming, right? Yes, I agree with you. And, of course, I, I'm, uh, I'm struck by your uh, talking about uh, abuse because um, when you look at um, – uh, violence and their their cycle of abuse and and how um, how abusers control the situation and use shame in the way that you've just described um, it it is part of that same sort of um, controlling methodology and you know screwnomics is um, my word for the the only almost well. It is universal this this um, expectation that that women should uh, always work for less or even better for free, which includes our our Mother Earth and includes men who who do what's traditionally women's work, like teaching or nursing or um, taking care of their own kids or cooking dinner. All of that is is devalued by our uh, our economy and so my question was you know why is that and it turns out that's that's a really long story mm. yes so so tell me more why um why you chose this name screwnomics well this isn't my word it's it's a masculine notion and i i had noticed that this um this truism that that women were just expected to uh work for less or free and and I, I'd noticed the the bro talk on Wall Street and in places of power, and I I wondered what it was about. And and there's this uh, wonderful writer uh, historian who wrote a book called Eve Seed, um, Robert McElvain, and he talks about what he calls verbal mounting, and you know the the expression "screw you" or other words even more rude. Um, having a particular purpose uh and it isn't love making it's it's to show the opposite it's about domination um and um uh, men's another term he used was pseudo sexing that men will police one another um to uh to again call them girly names and uh, assert their own their own uh hypermasculine domination uh, and a top being uh, female were um, and having feelings or, or being soft is is the worst possible thing there is so it's part of that that hypermasculine culture and I think it's particularly um, strong anywhere where there there is an exclusively male territory and certainly the money world is one of those territories where money where women sense that you know this really isn't a a friendly place for me to be Hmm. right and we've uh seen that coming out in in movies like wolf on wall street with leonardo dicaprio and all of the hookers and the you know (laughs) obscene uh overindulgence in in pleasure and uh drugs and things like that and and that testosterone driven competition and ruthless kind of behavior which i do want to say of course is not all men um but it's this unhealthy masculine um shadow that that is coming out and when we talked earlier you mentioned the finding the eros of the economy could you explain that a little more yeah, what, what you called uh, an overindulgence and pleasure that you see on on Wall Street when men are using prostitutes or having you know naked women jump out of cakes or whatever um, is is actually not about uh, pleasure or deep and genuine desires. It's it's more um, you know performance art. Um, Eros is called um, is the name of uh, you know the Greek god of sex um he was one of the original uh the greeks called him protogenoi uh they were uh, gaia was was the first and she created the world and then eros appeared and it's not like they were uh brother and sister or uh husband and wife they were they were kind of a 
this protogenoi was like a, a yin-yang power uh, that that was at the base of everything. And uh, eros is where we get our word erotic. And uh, over time, when, by the time we get to the Romans, he, he kind of regressed to um, the baby that, Cupid that we see on our, our um, Valentine cards. But uh, Eros was all about um, uh, self-preservation, and uh, psychologists have Eros, the uh, sum total of all of our instincts for self-preservation. So it's their, what, what older um, thinkers called libido, the source of our energy to... to uh, to dream and desire of being better than we ever thought we could be in in pursuit of our uh, life and our liberty and our happiness and our dreams and ideals. And it could be a dream of, you know, a family or a good career or um, a a particular hot lover. It could be that, too. But um, Eros denied... And this is the part that I think is so interesting um, in in relation to to Wall Street. Uh, Eros denied. Rollo May wrote in um, I think his book was was a bestseller in 1962, um, and he was writing about Eros and the way it influences cultures. And he said Eros denied has a predictable result. First comes boredom and um, a, a kind of apathy. And then after that will come addiction, you know, the, the need to, you know, try to try to feel something, you know, so you have this, this drive to have more and more and more and feel something, even if it's just from drugs or from shopping or from <laughs> whatever. Mm-hmm. And then finally, if that doesn't work, uh, cultures resort to violence. To uh, to finally just you know it's like the ultimate uh, quest to you know feel something you know feel feel rage and and when you when you see that um, that progression you know and you think about what we're seeing on on the news with you know games and video games and the movies and uh, and school shootings dear God uh, mm-hmm. you. you Understand that there is something going on with um, young men trained to deny their own deep feelings, which are so important. And of course, women are uh, also doing this when they enter the work world. There's always some sort of repression that's necessary just to, to function. But you know, the the really um, uh, Audre Lorde, this wonderful African American poet, uh, wrote a, wrote an essay about the practical practicalities of uh, sexuality, of of eros, of the erotic, and uh, in that sense, it is this this deep drive to grow, to learn, to aspire to one's deepest uh, passions. So it's kind of the renewable fuel of the economy wherever we are. You know, entrepreneurs have this and, you know, small business people have this, you know, dream of making their family comfortable and and uh, doing things in the world that are new and exciting. So um, it's, it's really a must. But when it is uh, perverted, when it's... Um, when it when it's perverted, it it, it has um, the opposite effect that we might want to have. Hmm. So I, oh. what I'm saying is, our economy needs to to be truly sexy. I mean, right now, uh, you know, we get naked women jumping out of cakes, um, but but we really <laughs> we really can be more genuine about our our. And that requires being a little bit vulnerable, doesn't it, to to really look deeply into oneself and and understand oneself and and then risk uh, being known by someone else that you admire or that you aspire to be like, or you know that's that's living dangerously. But that is how uh, human beings have created uh, great things and and. Mm. Uh, 
gotten as far as we have. So, yes. Wow, that was so brilliant. You know, I've interviewed about 70 women and and no one's quite made that connection um, between this repressed eros and and the economy, but it makes perfect sense. And I feel like there is, um, you know, as power dynamics are shifting to be more balanced, um, as women are finding their voices, that there is, um, you know, a lot of these painful Things are coming out with the Me Too movement, and we're just seeing uh, really a lot of the the way that shame has has kept women, um, you know, under control and and victims of of these abuses. And I I love your description of this healthy desire and um, you know desire to contribute and make meaningful um, use of our mm-hmm. gifts and really be part of a an economy um, which I I see is um, can become more intimate as as like the opposite of this screwnomics kind of uh, you know uh, competitive for each their own kind of feeling. It's like like you said an intimacy based on vulnerability of thinking about other people's needs of you know coming to mutually beneficial agreements that are um, have a sacred reciprocity and it's not so extractive and power over. So I just love the depth of, of how that touches on our, our mythology and, and our psychology that results from being part of this whole economic system. One of the things that I think is interesting is about what's going on now is that um, we're being challenged to rethink uh, what we mean by uh, what's female and and what's um, masculine and what is um, true and what is um, real and what is um, fake and and yeah. mere performance or um, you know boxes we put people in so we don't have to think about it but it's kind of hard to be alive today and not not think about these issues of of gender and uh, and and our the way we operate in the work world. Yes. And our power as storytellers, which is so often untapped or given away to the mainstream messaging and how people, um, you know, I'm 36 years old and how people in younger generations and my generation are just redefining what success is beyond the financial um, measures. And so I think it's important also you know, I, I'd also like to hear, like, why, why do you think women's perspectives are unique and, and what makes this important within the economics conversations? Well, I, one of the things that I, I noticed the more I, I researched was that um, this man-to-man conversation that we call our, our uh, economy and even the the legal constructions of that economy have largely been organized to to wage constant competition and even to wage war because it's concentrating on uh, who's going to win, who's going to come out on top, you know, who's going to be the biggest and the most important. Um, by contrast, uh, women have seldom organize themselves into death-dealing armies. And our habit of mind, maybe because of our traditional uh, part of the economy, is uh, tends to be more inclusive. And uh, so I, I think that we can hope to create new language and uh, new metaphors. I try to do that in Scrunomics uh, for an economic life that is looking for productive partnerships and more fair distribution of resources and more honest accounts and not so much lying and, and more uh, more human um, hierarchies that uh, hand over power and mimic our own very short lives, you know, instead of seeking to be uh, eternal and uh, and all-powerful and, and out of touch with the real world. Um, so I think I think women can help us uh, keep our feet on the ground and um, make sure 
as I say in Scronomics, make sure everyone eats and has clean socks. You know, that's that's mm. important, but um, mm. we we don't often think about how important it is. Mm. So true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, let's. Let's take a short break here, and when we come back, um, love to talk just a little bit more about, um, you know, some of the the history of women and money, and as well, um, you know, this kind of myth of growth economy and and how that's been so central to um, to our modern uh, economic system. And so we will be back in just a moment. Are you ready to enjoy greater financial freedom? Perhaps you're like Emily, a creative entrepreneur who wants to increase her income to provide for her family. Using the free video training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com, she learned the secrets to accessing hidden resources and creating lasting wealth. Emily learned a persuasive negotiation technique to bring in more money with her top clients. She boosted her credit score and opened new financial doors while reducing expenses. And she took specific steps to strengthen her existing relationships and create a safety net for her business. With the Discover Your True Wealth training, thousands of women have improved their bank balances and secured their family's future. With this free video course, you'll transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. Take charge of your financial situation with the training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com. Crystal Arnold back here with Ricky Gard Diamond, our guest and author of Screwnomics How Our Economy Works Against Women and Real Ways to Make Lasting Change. So, before we get to the inspiration at the end of the call here around lasting change and how people can get engaged um, in in this uh, productive new emergent economy. Let's talk a little bit about the reality of the situation and kind of the, you know, um, the maybe we could start with some of three dates of, of women's place within the economy and and why that is important to to look at the history and and any of the numbers that you think would would be interesting for people well i i said it was a long uh story and and it certainly is that i mean girdle lerner um wrote in uh she's the mother of uh women's history which remember not so long ago was kind of an oxymoron uh history was about kings and uh was about wars um not about what women were doing but um she wrote that that 40,000 years ago uh when we, you know, after the the last ice age, uh, people were pretty rare. They weren't that common, and uh, land was not the rarity. It was it was people. So, women's reproductive powers uh, were extremely valuable, and probably the first property. Because if uh, if by chance uh, your some of your people were crushed by a nearby mastodon and and you were a little afraid you weren't going to have uh, enough labor to bring in food to last through the winter, you would run off to the next uh, tribe and steal a few women because they had the power to uh, increase your numbers. So she says women were the first property. Now, that's kind of uncomfortable to think about, but then when you consider that, um, you know, the – Wedding tradition is for uh, the the bride's father gives the bride to the groom, and uh, it's an affectionate gesture now. It always makes me uh, tear up, and it's sweet, but um, it has this longer history. Uh, about 10,000 years ago, uh, agriculture developed, and it needed even more people, more labor, and uh, so... Uh, when you look closely at agricultural um, economies, which was what Herodotus was first talking about when 
um, he he named oikonomia, uh, ownership of slaves and women and concubines were just foundational, not only to Greece but to all ancient civilizations, wherever they were. So um, it's kind of interesting to me that the, the first uh, wages that were uh, ever recorded on some clay tablets uh, actually went to a concubine. She, and in exchange, uh, earned bushels of uh, grain because there weren't any coins yet. And uh, the wages didn't go to her. They went to her owner. And uh, so that's kind of interesting. Um, it, 250 years ago, it's that recently that industrialization uh, began maybe 300 years, but in that neighborhood, about, you know, about the time when the United States began to be um, a nation. Um, Industrialization removed uh, work from the home. It separated them and, you know, took it to factories and other places, and it transformed uh, women who had been agricultural producers and manufacturers to what we now call consumers. Uh, Her reproductive powers, uh, which had been a source of of wealth in the agricultural societies, became um, uh, instead a cost. And, of course, today the uh, USDA says it costs about $700,000 to uh, raise a child to uh, the age of 18 these days, not counting college costs. So um, those children are now an expense to the family instead of uh, providing, um, you know, for one's retirement in the future, as used to be the traditional arrangement. So uh, all of these, um, all of these dates kind of pale in comparison to another really important date, and that, of course, is. 1965, which is, I forget how many years ago was that, not that long ago, um, that's when the birth control pill was was invented and uh, women began to use them. And uh, it still is uh, very centrally important to women's increased, uh, uh, what do I want to say, entry into the, uh, the job market. I mean, it really has made a tremendous difference in women's lives. Hmm. Wow, so fascinating and just um, shows both how far we've come and how how it's continuing to change. And no wonder women have struggled to feel safe, to be visible and productive bread earners and and what sacrifices we've we've had to make to participate in the economy and um, it's it's just a fascinating fascinating topic um, can you tell us a little bit more um, about this kind of wealth consolidation there's growing inequality and and underlying this is like this myth of growth that the modern economy is is based on we have consolid our uh, compounding interest, which um, continues to make the poor more poor, and uh, and that our gross domestic product, our GDP, GDP, uh, you know, really um, aims. It's like our goal of the economy is growth, and there's so much more to it. And I'm wondering if you could explain to listeners uh, some some of the situation we're in. Well, in in a way, that that mystery kind of uh, drives Scrunomics is at the heart of it, and um, uh, you know is at the heart of the gross domestic product. And uh, I I hardly know what direction to come at it from, but um, I think one of the the basic things that I I try to address is um, these numbers that sound so much alike, like you know, they're all two-syllable words, thousands, uh, millions, billions, trillions. They are actually uh, so, so very different. And I think a lot of people don't really um, know just how different they are. So one of the things I, I 
do in Scrunomics is translate those numbers um, into time because I think it's easier to see the differences when you do that. So uh, a million is a thousand thousands. So if you counted each uh, dollar bill, let's say, you've got this big stack of one thousand thousand dollar bills, or you you count each single dollar, even you know break it down even smaller than that into one second of time, a million seconds gives you uh, roughly twelve days, twelve days of time. Now a billion is a thousand millions, so um, how does it compare to a million? Well, you think about it. Well, a, a billion seconds gives you 31 years. So we're talking about the difference between 12 days and 31 years. And wow. a trillion is even more amazing. That's a thousand billions, and it adds up to 31,688 years. So, you know, all of that is kind of interesting, especially when you think about um, – some of the the men that uh, Forbes magazine reports on every year about their being uh, the biggest. Uh, like in in 2008, Bill Gates had uh, 46 billion dollars, which adds up to uh, about uh, 1,426 years all to himself. Now, um, at the same time, the median. American household income, and, and this, this is a household income. So these days, more often than not, it represents more than one paycheck. You know, that's just typical. And the median is, of course, the income that's right in the middle. And a great many women are, are you know, on the bottom half of that median. But um, if you translate that median income, which was $57,211, and you calculate it the same way, it comes out to just under 15 hours by comparison. Wow. So we're talking about hours compared to 12 days, compared to 31 years, or compared to uh, 14 centuries for, for Bill Gates. And the horrible thing about uh, what has been happening since 2008, you know, you and I, don't have the power to collapse an economy in the way that happened in in 2008. Um, Billionaires uh, accomplished that, and uh, they lost more money than anyone. They'll be quick to tell you that. But the trouble is that billionaires bounce back. For instance, Bill Gates, since 2008, he, he now has something in the, the neighborhood of $86 billion. He's just about doubled his, his money. And we have been setting record numbers of millionaires and billionaires around the world um, it, 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 at the same time that, you know, most people are struggling just to catch up to where we were in, in 2008 while Prices have continued to go up and, and so on. So um, that, that I hope, makes that reality of what we're all feeling when we, you know, laugh and say, yeah, schoonomics, I recognize that. that. That's what's been going on, and that's what real inequality looks like. And, of course, I'm just looking here at American uh, figures, uh, you know, the people around the world, um, are are in struggling in an even greater way. So um, it's it's pretty dire. It's pretty dire. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you put those numbers in that perspective because a lot of people don't understand that that um, difference between those uh, measurements, and it it really is uh, a systemic problem. And I encourage listeners, you know, not to, uh, you know, make make the individuals uh, either saviors or uh, heroes or villains, you know, just 
uh, stepping back and, and looking at, oh, isn't this an interesting game humans have decided to play? It, it hasn't always been this way and it's going to continue to change and that we have some authority to author a new uh, new story of, of what it is to, to live together on a finite planet. And we can't pretend that infinite growth is the goal or even realistic. And I think we're really bumping up into some of those ecological limits and um, you know I'm curious you've you've been in this uh, this contemplation and exploration for decades now and if there's a few of the most important things about money or the economy that you'd like to share to listeners well another part of the um, the deep mysteries of the economy that are, are, you know, obfuscated so that people often don't really understand um, is is on those dollar bills that I was just mentioning. The, um, you know, the U.S. dollar is, is splashed all over it. It's signed by the, um, by the U.S. Secretary of Treasury, and it's signed by the treasurer, and everything about it trumpets United States. But then when you look at the fine print at the very top of the dollar bill, it says Federal Reserve Note. And uh, I think a lot of people, uh, and I'm thinking particularly about women who typically, you know, this has been a, the the Federal Reserve has been a man-to-man conversation until uh, fairly recently when Janet Yellen became uh, the first woman head. Um that most people don't understand what the Federal Reserve is, that it's a a private uh, banking system that that issues our currency only through the instrument of debt. And what debt demands is not just the payment of uh, the principal, the, the amount for the loan taken out, and we all operate by loans. You know, we we take out loans to buy houses, to buy cars, to uh, to start a business. To uh, uh, everybody is you know, Donald Trump has tons of debts. He's borrowed a lot of money to create you know the piles of of Federal Reserve notes that he has. <laughs> um, so. Uh, uh, I, I sort of lost my way there. What was I saying? I um, the Federal Reserve what, and any key things people should know about oh, yeah. money. That'll confuse you in in a moment, you know. <laughs> so it's not surprising I lost my way. It's, it is kind of hard to understand, um, but but that instrument of creating money only through debt uh, requires that we all have to. Uh, work just a little bit more. We have to uh, 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 try a little, you know, squeeze a little bit tighter to not only pay back that principal, but then pay back the added interest. And so that demands the constant growth of the economy. That's why uh, the the GDP and your business and your bank, and your university, and your your house. You, you, this all got to get bigger and more and more and more, which if you think back to what I was saying earlier about Eros is um, maybe a picture of a little, another kind of addiction that is at work here, possibly. Mm, fascinating. Ah, so let's let's move on to this, you know, what what to do about it part of part of your book and and your movement um, that you are creating and and real ways that people can get involved in lasting change. So, what do you recommend for listeners? Well, you know, um, I, I I really am collecting uh, in Scoonomics the. Uh, tidbits of news about wonderful things that all kinds of people are um, already at work on that, you know, often are are women's ideas and and women are at work with them, but um, they're not often um, talked about in in the mainstream news. And I think it's important for women to to know about some of the women leaders who have come up with 
wonderful ideas and written great books and um and um so I, I'm just happy to be able to um bring a, women's attention to them like um uh there there are women working in uh labor unions for instance who are uh kind of reinvigorating unions in a in a way that I think is exciting because they're expanding the conversation from that of wages we've got to have more money for our wages expanding the conversation to include the greater community and its needs and um and really coming up with some innovative uh, educational tools to widen people's understanding of how things work. Um, the most striking example is the restaurant opportunity centers who have, um, you know, expanded knowledge about uh, food systems, um, have done more local sourcing, have pushed for uh, sick days, not as a, something that workers need alone, but that is healthy for everyone. You know, you don't want your cook sneezing in your in your soup. So, um, just ex- the way they're expanding the conversation to be more inclusive, in the way I was describing, women often do earlier. Um, another thing that is happening that's very exciting uh, is is more worker owned cooperative businesses, uh, networks of um, socially responsible businesses like the Business Alliance for Local Living Economy, which was, um, you know, co-started by uh, Judy Wicks. Um, There are um, state, we have a a wonderful organization here in the state of Vermont, uh, Businesses for Social Responsibility, and um, Ben and Jerry were in, involved in that in the triple bottom line, the planets, people, and profit um, is 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 part of their philosophy. And then there are networks like the the Southern Rural Black Women's Initiative that um, includes women in agriculture who are working cooperatively with women-owned and women-run farms that also are you know interested in the the food system in the country. Um, I, I think one of the um, most most uh, inspiring uh, systems, one of the largest systems, um, maybe even, well, I don't know if they're the oldest ones, but the Self-Employed Women's Association of India has this wonderful, um, you know, it, it, the, the traditional relationship between unions and uh, business has been a war has been a constant, you know, male contest. Um, and so when women in India said, you know, we're self-employed, we want to make a union, the government said, well, you can't be a union, you're, you're business owners. And they said, well, we want to be, we need to be. And they finally won that argument, and then um, they, they began to uh, provide for services that they – jointly needed like child care resources and um, um, uh, a, a business academy that taught them skills that they needed to operate their businesses efficiently and then eventually they even um, formed um, their own bank that would finance these micro loans and and create um, business mentors and and you know work more cooperatively together and I just think they're a marvelous uh, example of of the kind of economy that is possible and that is is already happening in in many places, especially on the local level, which is where uh, most women's businesses are are popping up, and they are popping up. I mean, it's kind of exciting to to see that happening. M- Micro businesses are having trouble getting financing, though, and uh, one of the reasons for that is that uh, most Places have all of their money in uh, in Wall Street uh, in the big banks, and uh, so another really innovative idea is uh, it was actually an old idea uh, is public banking, which is uh, putting some of your tax money, some of your state's uh, revenues uh, from taxes, using that to capitalize a bank. Now we only have one 
public bank in the United States. That's the Bank of uh, North Dakota. But many, many states are really looking, again, many, um, you know, candidates uh, who are thinking about new e- economic measures are, are looking at public banks as, a, as another um, possibility for uh, financing small businesses and local agriculture and um, and having the successes that the Bank of North Dakota has. Student loans is another um, another uh, quest that um, they have have met beautifully with low interest ways and loan forgiveness to um, to pay off student loans, which are a big uh, weight on a lot of families these days. So, you know, there there will be a lot of uh, talk about uh, how dangerous public banks are, but in fact, uh, a, there are wonderful systems of public banking in, in Germany, for instance, and in Japan, both of which are, uh, you know, healthy capitalist countries. So it's not as if you have to be a communist to, to have a public bank, and North Dakota certainly is, you know, it's a red Republican state. So um, it, it's another really interesting possibility for uh, setting our own direction. Now, public banking uses um, uh, the interest principle. It creates money, it multiplies money through through interest, and so... Um, I, I'm interested in, in what you might think about that. Um, I, I'm not sure that it's the ultimate solution, but it is one tool that we might use. And then, of course, I, I've learned about this bank in uh, Sweden called the Jack Bank, which stands for um, Land and Capital and Work. Uh, in Swed- I don't know what the Swedish words are, but uh, that is a no interest bank that is actually a cooperative organization and uh it has um it, it doesn't charge interest it, it instead awards uh its uh loan payers what they call savings points instead of paying the interest they go into savings points and when the loan is paid off you have uh this big chunk of uh, money in the bank because they didn't need it, um, and so the only rule about that money is that you 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 can give it away as a gift to um, a family who might need a business loan or who might um, um, need a new house or something, uh, but it, it can't be used to earn money on the uh, on the stock market through the usual through the usual means and. You know, I, I'm just I'm just excited about this because of the way it enables people to build assets very quickly, which you know many women are uh, lacking in in assets, and it's it's hard to build those over time. So this could actually help build women's assets and uh, more quickly. So I'd I'd love to learn more about that. Actually, they they have been around uh, for quite a number of years. Um, and they have grown to, they now have 35,000 members with uh, deposits of $97 million, and they made loans of $86 million. So it's not as if they're um, not successful. The government recognizes them, even though they are a cooperative, and um, they're, they're doing good things. So I think it's very exciting, and a very exciting possibility. Mm. Super inspiring. I'm just so happy to know of uh, more and more of these projects that are addressing the bigger systemic needs uh, and uh, really coming up with innovative solutions and how they are decentralizing the power structures. Um, We'll have Gwendolyn Hallsmith on another Vermonter and a friend of yours on, on, and she'll be speaking about public banking here uh, in a week or two. Um, So people can check out Gwendolyn's episode as well. Um, Gwendolyn is wonderful for her. She and um, Michael Schumann have have written a, a great book about the local economy. And one of the things I learned from her was that, um, that the uh, the global economy
economy is producing most of the uh, durable goods these days, but but most consumer dollars actually go to local services and pay for what's called non-durable goods. That's food and clothing and health care and, you know, office products, and all of those have to be produced or distributed locally. So there's lots of room for local expansion and local credit creation and uh, even local currencies, which is another kind of innovation that, that people are are already using in exciting ways. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've been passionate about the complementary currencies for a while and really see uh, the potential there for empowering uh, local communities. Um, let's talk uh, a little bit here in the end about uh, your book discussion groups. And as we both know, it's so powerful um, for people and and women in particular to come together in groups um, to share intentions, to have uh, meaningful conversations and explore topics like this. So I would love to hear um, you know, how people could get involved and, and a little bit more about that. Well, I'm, I'm calling them econo-girlfriend um, groups. You know, I talk about uh, econo-man. Did I talk about econo-man? I don't know that I did. Uh, no. Kind of this social construction, you know, we expect money to talk in a male voice, and so um, he, he's just this. Uh, this man of a, a particular, uh, and he's not a, a real person. He's this performer who um, expects to, um, you know, to to be privileged and and to win and to profit. So um, I call the um, I, I invite women to to form what I'm calling econo girlfriend conversations because we so often don't talk about the economy and really. Um, money is the last taboo, isn't it? You know, it's it's kind of a shameful thing to talk about often. It takes some courage to do it. So um, we have a couple of uh, econo-girlfriend groups that are just beginning here in uh, Vermont, women who are getting together to discuss the book. And um, I've even developed a, a, a workbook that I'm calling Where Can I Get Some Change, which um, – tells women more about what associations are already out there or what books have been written that they might be interested in, depending on what particular piece they and their friends decide is is really most pressing for them, that they might uh, feel good about even maybe doing something together. You know, who knows what could come out of this. So um, excited uh, to, to think about women who, when they see Screwnomics, they say, oh, we really need a book like this. And then to think about their getting together and, um, you know, just doing some consciousness raising together about this long story that has uh, generally left them out or tried to own them. And what can be different now? What what can they be part of changing and uh, I, I just think it's um, an exciting possibility, and, and I hope something comes of it. I, it's the part that, uh, you know, when I heard these two groups are, are, are forming, I, I immediately wanted to be a fly on the wall, so it's kind of hard to let go of my book, too. But, but I, think, um, I, I think women are just going to go to town, and I'm really excited that that men, I've been talking to a good many men because, you know, if it's a show about economics, more often than not, there's a man who's hosting it, you know. <laughs> and so um, I've been talking to a lot of them, and they also are really interested in this in this book and think it's a useful tool. And um, And I hope it gets people started talking. That would be great. Mm. Well, yes. I've I've so enjoyed our conversation today and um, really value what you're bringing forth as far as a woman's perspective on the economy. And if people want to um, order the book and, and find out more, um, you can check it out at www 
screwnomics.org. And uh, sure, it's on Amazon for sale as well. Um, any, yeah. You can hear it anywhere, yeah. Great. Yeah, and ask your local bookstore to carry it if they don't. And if you have an existing uh, book club or a women's group, consider uh, throwing this into the mix and uh, and letting Ricky know how that goes. Um, in yeah. the last minute or so here, is there anything else you would like to share or closing remarks? Well, just uh, I just want to thank you, Crystal, uh, for your for your show there and and for um, for a great conversation and and an interest. Even though you're an economist, I've loved talking with you. <laughs> yes, you know it can be frightening to talk with with an economist. So um, um, I I really appreciate your willingness to. Um, to make this subject a little more personal for an ordinary laywoman like me. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, uh, thank you so much, Ricky, for your dedication over these uh, decades to create a more just and, and vibrant economy and society and and really um, for putting out this vision of not only honestly looking at the challenges but also uh, so many creative solutions, some of which you mentioned today, projects that are innovative and, and creating uh, prosperity and uh, wealth for, for more people. And uh, so appreciated all that you shared and really recommend that people check out Screwnomics for a good laugh about money. And uh, we could definitely use some more humor in this arena and more women's voices. So thank you so much for being such a, a pioneer and uh, a voice for, for the emergent uh, possibility in our, in our world right now. So thank you again. Hope everyone listening is inspired to read more and, uh, and discuss this book with your friends. All right. Thank you, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve.